good to be up here again. Uh, before I read today's text, I want to just make two comments. The first is, this is my last Sunday at Christchurch as a Christchurch intern, so I'm sad. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, that's funny. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. But anyways, all of that's to say, I say that to say thank you, because it's been such a wonderful, hospitable experience um, I've had a lot of glasses of wine and whiskey, and I've watched many dogs, and they've been so, the dogs have been so kind to me, so I'm thankful. Uh, the second point is that just by way of preface for this text, uh, it's hard to go more than a verse in the book of Revelation without bumping into some sort of Old Testament illusion, and so there's a few of those, so just be aware as we approach this text, this is Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask today that you would uh, reveal, us, reveal to us your Son uh, in your word. Pray that your Spirit would be with us as we walk through a difficult text like Re Revelation chapter 3. Pray that you would show us yourself and that you'd change us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I remember a couple years ago, uh, I was flying, I was in college, and I was flying from Atlanta to Minneapolis. I had been at a uh, conference in Atlanta, and it was January, and preparing to fly back alone. And while on the flight, uh, one of the pilots warned us about some upcoming turbulence. And while I'm not particularly afraid of flying, I do typically get a little bit nervous uh, as we're preparing to take off. So we're about midway through the flight and the seatbelt light came on. And of course the flight attendants check to make sure everyone's buckled in and then they buckle themselves in. And of course as they announced the upcoming turbulence, I immediately began thinking to myself, there's no reason to be scared. Planes don't crash when flying from Atlanta to Minneapolis. It just doesn't happen. 
I knew that the likelihood of a commercial flight crashing was slim to none. And of course, I remember the first few moments of turbulence were pretty mild. It was a few bumps here, a few shakes there, but even then, my hands were firmly grasping the armrests next to me, nearly white-knuckled. And as the turbulence got worse, I remember that there was a pilot sitting a row in front of me. I was on the left side aisle seat, and he was on the right side aisle seat, and he didn't seem concerned at all. Uh, He was just sitting there, bobbing with the plane as we hit our turbulence, reading his book, totally fine. And while the pilot didn't speak a single word to me, because of who he was, I was able to endure the remaining turbulence on that flight. My job was not to land the plane. My job was not to make sure all the passengers were buckled in. My job was simply to endure. Well, just like that flight to Minneapolis where I had to endure some shaky times, we see a command in uh, today's text. The command is found in verse 11. It says this, hold fast what you have. Hold fast. This idea of holding fast communicates a type of endurance which does not let go of what it is grasped. So that leads us into our two points for today. Uh, Before saying my points, I'll say what my points are about, and then I'll tell you what the points are. So the first point is about the source of our endurance, and then the second is the effect of our endurance. Or in other words, and these are my two points, First, the power to endure comes from Jesus. The power to endure comes from Jesus. And second, our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. Our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. The power to endure comes from Jesus. Last week, Pastor Jonathan helped remind us where we are in this book and if you're like me, you've probably, you probably lose track nearly every Sunday. Just You get distracted, right? So I'll remind us, uh, we're now in the sixth of seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And while all of Scripture is Christ's inspired word for us, I think it's important to remember who's speaking here. Uh, look again at verse 7, where we see the common refrain in these letters. And to the angel of the church in... Philadelphia, right? So this is Jesus writing to angels, which we've taken to mean pastors, who stand in representation of each of these churches. Jesus is writing to the churches, bringing the command to endure, to hold fast. But Christ doesn't begin his letter to the church with the command to endure. He begins with a statement about his own identity. He says this, he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Right, so like every letter in the book of Revelation, Jesus begins with a statement about his own identity. Uh, The book of Revelation is full of complex imagery from both the Old and New Testament. Uh, If you look again in verse 7, you see that Jesus identifies himself as the Holy One. And in this statement, I think that Jesus is attributing to himself a name which the book of Isaiah, as well as other Old Testament books, attribute to God himself. 
just by way of example, Isaiah 41.14 says this, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. This idea of Holy One, I think, can bring all sorts of things to mind. One author puts it this way. He says that Jesus, as the Holy One, conveys Jesus as infinitely and absolutely holy, fully and perfectly divine, transcendent and majestic. He is perfect in all of his ways. His being is holy, his character is holy, his mind is holy, his motives are holy, his words are holy, his actions are holy, his ways are holy, and his judgments are holy. And while I certainly think that this idea of the Holy One is true, right, it's true to say that God is entirely transcendent and all of those other things we associate with holiness, I think that Isaiah 41 says something uh, different about what the Holy One is. Uh, It's a demonstration of the Holy One as a Redeemer. So when we hear the command to endure, uh, first we must know who it comes from. It comes from God himself. God the Son, who is Jesus, our Redeemer, has commanded us to endure. Uh, In fact, Jesus goes on to say in verse 7, says this, he says, who, in reference to himself, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This statement's an allusion to a verse earlier in the book, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 where Christ says about himself, he says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Right, so I want you to imagine you're part of the church in Philadelphia, and at this point in history of the Christian church, uh, you've certainly seen a great deal of persecution, and if you've not witnessed it firsthand, uh, you probably have friends or family members who've seen it or heard it. Not only was the church in Philadelphia not well-liked, but they also had very little power. Verse 8 says that. It says, I know that you have but little power. So consider what Christ is saying to the church in Philadelphia. He's saying that he, he is the Holy One, our gracious Redeemer, who has authority over life and death. The human race has mastered many things. I want you to think about the advancement of medical science over the past 100, 500 years, right? 500 years ago, if you were going to have a child, it was a very risky and necessary medical procedure. But thanks to advancement in medical science and sanitation and all sorts of other things, uh, giving birth in the uh, developed world is quite a safe thing to do relative to the rest of human history. Yet for all our medical advancement, we still haven't mastered death. Only God himself has authority over life and death. Not only does Jesus have authority over life and death, but he also says this. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Jesus has the authority to keep us in fellowship with him even in the darkest of times. And this isn't the first time that John, the author of this book, has heard this very promise. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus asks the Father for this very thing, 
Concerning the church, he prays that the Father would keep them from the evil one. So also with you, Christ Church, Satan, the deceiver, wants Christ Church Bellingham to fail in declaring the excellencies of God to Bellingham and throughout the world. Satan wants you to fail. Not only that, the world wants you to fail. Yet here we see, remember point one, the power to endure comes from Jesus. So Christ himself promises to keep the church from the hour of trial that's coming. Jesus alone can keep Christ Church Bellingham. Christ alone. If we think about the ways in which uh, we're fearful about the uh, future of the church in America, right? or we even think of our own children, right? look at the statistics uh, at the rate at which young people are leaving the church. Right? Even today, that causes panic for many of us. Many of us here have friends and family members who've walked away from their faith. And I know the despair that that causes. Yet Christ's statement here shows us that he alone holds us. Our gracious Redeemer, the Holy One, the One who has the keys to life and death itself. He alone holds us. So if you have a loved one who no longer associates with the name of Jesus, our only hope and their only hope is that we cast our requests at the feet of our Lord. No amount of arm twisting, anger, or apathy can change a sinner's status with God. Christ alone can change sinners. Right? Or even some of us here may be unsure of whether or not Christ is with us. Right? We believe the message of the gospel, yet we lack the assurance that comes from the Spirit. And if that's you, I can assure you that Christ himself will keep you. Uh, the very reality of the good news is not just that God has uh, purchased freedom and forgiveness. He's also purchased your endurance. Therefore, endure. Remember, the power to endure comes from Jesus. The power to endure comes from Jesus. But also, our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. Our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, uh, The Return of the King, there's this famous scene where Gandalf is commanding Denethor, the uh, steward of Gondor, to allow the rightful king back on his throne. And Gandalf says this to Denethor. He says, authority is not given to you to deny the return of the king. And John Noble, the actor who uh, played uh, Denethor, the uh, steward, has hilarious delivery throughout the entire film, full of spit and yelling, and I'm not going to attempt to reproduce that here today. Uh, but his response is one of my favorite responses in the book, just in terms of his delivery. And he just says, the rule of Gondor is mine. This is a tragically timed statement from the steward of Gondor, because soon after he would be uh, falling in a literal and proverbial ball of flame. Denethor was not the rightful king of Gondor. And in today's text, I think we see a, similar, a statement that is similarly jarring. In verse 9, Jesus says this. He says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. 
Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Well, like I said, there's a lot of repeated themes in the book of Revelation, one of which is the synagogue of Satan. They came up previously uh, in the letter to the church in Smyrna. And I think there's two things we need to understand about the synagogue of Satan. First, it's likely that they were a group that was persecuting the church. And second, they were a group who was probably ethnically Jewish. Yet they denied that Jesus was the Messiah. Christ says that he will make them come and bow down before your feet. And in the same way that Denethor was not the rightful rule, ruler of Gondor, it feels out of place for Jesus to say that this group will bow down before the church in Philadelphia. Right? If you're me, we associate bowing as a part of ritualistic reverence or worship. Why are they bowing at the feet of the church in Philadelphia? And so I'd say consider again our second point. Our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. This takes us back again to Isaiah. In Isaiah 45, um, God says, or sorry, God has brought the Gentile enemies of Israel low, so low, in fact, that he says this in 45, verse 14. He says, they will walk behind you. They will come over in chains and will bow down to you. They will plead with you. And then after this, he says that the Gentiles will say, God certainly is with you, and there is no one else, no other God. So the bowing in Revelation 3 is a bit of an ironic twist. In the same way that the Gentiles proclaim God's presence with the Jews, those who once denied Jesus as Messiah will soon Proclaim him as Lord. In other words, God is promising, Jesus is promising that because of the church's endurance, people will be saved. Immediately after the synagogue of Satan bows before the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says that they will learn that I have loved you. In other words, the very means by which the synagogue of Satan will be brought to repentance is through the church in Philadelphia's endurance. This, I think, is manifestly true in church history as well. The times in which the church has grown the most is when we've been persecuted. Right? The early church uh, was killed for their faith. They were called atheists and cannibals. Yet it was because of their, their faithful endurance that countless Gentiles were brought into the fold of God. Therefore, I think we can say that our endurance is the means by which God will establish his kingdom. Consider again the state of the church in the United States today. I think for many of us it's quite frightening, especially if you're looking for a job in ministry, right? Just this week I read an article published on the Gospel Coalition's website pointed to a survey that said this. While 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians, only about half believe that they will experience heaven when they die. Only one-third of adults believe they will go to heaven solely because of confessing their sins and embracing Jesus as Savior. Another one in five expecting to experience heaven are counting on earning their way in or because they embrace universalism. 
My hope in reading that to you is not that you would be left fearful about the, fear, or the future of the church. The past 50 years of the church in America uh, has emphasized strategy in response to fear, right? Our own fear about the way in which America seems to be headed. What I think is that what this means is that as the church, we need to double down on the essentials. We need faithful gospel preaching. We need churches to be planted. Not only that, but we need to remember that regardless of how effective we are as a church at ministry, it's not our strategies that guarantee our success. And Jesus says this in verse 8. He says, Behold, I have set before you an open door. Jesus has set before us an open door in the city of Bellingham for ministry in Bellingham. One commentator says this about the church in Philadelphia and that door. And I'll close with this. This open door is a door of access, perhaps to new ministry or to new success in ministry. Churches expand and extend their ministry not by manipulating the levers of the world's power. Jesus has the keys. And pleasing him is the key to ensuring open doors in wide horizons. If we make good use of the little we have, we can depend on Jesus to multiply it. And I can say just personally, there's a pressure. Uh, you know, I'm in my second of four years at seminary, and there's this pressure for all of us to network and try to make sure you have a job or a residency post-seminary. And while it is good to be prudent and wise in networking, uh, there's something to be said about the reality that Jesus is the one who open, opens doors to ministry opportunities for me, for the church, for the pastors here. So let's make that our goal in the coming 50 years. Let's be a church that holds fast to the word of God, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, because Jesus is the Holy One. He's the Holy One who holds the keys to death in Hades. And it's through our endurance that he will establish his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we know that the one who conquers, you will make him a pillar in the temple of your God. And I ask today that uh, through the work of the church here in Bellingham that you would um, bring light and salvation to those who need it. Pray that we would be faithful witnesses to the mission of your son uh, that we would remember that you desire our obedience, not our giftedness or our uh, way with words, but that we, we would love you and be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.